All right, good morning. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, be with us today as we continue our study in Luther's small catechism on uh, the Lord's Supper, the supper that you so generously provide to us in your grace, the supper of your Son, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of all of our sins so that we may have life and so that we may have salvation and that so that one day we'll all celebrate with you as all the saints and in all the company of heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off talking, we broke down the second half of the Lord's Supper and the small catechism according to the nature of the sacrament, which we briefly got to start on. And then we'll talk about the benefit of the sacrament and the power of the sacrament, especially how um, Martin Luther expounds on it. We'll bring up parts of the large catechism as it pertains to this. And then next week, we'll get into the formula of Concord. But in the formula of Concord, there's an entire article on the Lord's Supper. But what I'd rather spend next week on, there's a part in the formula of Concord that's very, very relevant to all of the church's practice in in today's age, and especially in the Lord's Supper, and that is the subject of adiaphora. Should I buy a red car or a blue car? Should I have the blood of Christ in the big cup or the little cup? All sorts of decisions we have in, in practices of our everyday Christian life, but in practice of the church, that come up with the Lord's Supper. That will be next week. Then that will wrap up the Book of Concord, and then we'll start to look at a little bit of the history. But to continue with the nature of the sacrament, uh, we'll also get into the worthiness a little bit today. What is the nature of what a non-believing communicant receives? And we've talked about this uh, a few times before. Does it change? Can it change if they do not believe? Many, many people would say, uh, in in non-Lutheran circles, would say yes. Uh, Maybe even the Holy Spirit's not even there. It's not even symbolic. Uh, Because a decision must be made to believe. Whereas we believe it's Christ's word that establishes the real present in the sacrament. But only those who believe receive it to their blessing. Those who do not believe receive it to their condemnation, I think is the official word. Detriment is in there too. So why, I mean, we call it the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, communion, whatnot, but in the small catechism, Luther specifically calls it the sacrament of the altar. It doesn't roll off the tongue like Lord's Supper does. I think that's been... Uh, maybe a lost part of the language, but why is it called the sacrament of the altar? Well, the altar is the place of sacrifice. Historically, uh, throughout all the times of the Old Testament, atonement for sins took place at the high altar in the holiest of places because that's where God has promised to dwell in the times of old. It is also, it's Jesus' sacrifice, it's, it's not ours. So we don't necessarily get, get to decide, well, let's have the Lord's Supper in the narthex today. That, that wouldn't, uh, or let's have the Lord's Supper in here today, just before the voters meet. 
we, that's something we, we certainly would not do. God has given us a place to receive his gifts. Um, when we in drink his body and blood, we receive the sacrifice. We do not repeat the sacrifice. One thing that's, uh, that, that's really important, especially today for All Saints Day, in this sacrifice that we receive, we are not traveling back in time. We are not traveling forward in time. In fact, we're not traveling in time at all. It is not going back to the past cross. It is not going to the future marriage feast of the Lamb. But rather, that comes to us. And not necessarily in time. Time is not, time's not a thing. Uh, part of my sermon today will be on that as well. In, in studying this concept of time, we need to remember who invented time. Who is the Alpha and the Omega? We think of time because time runs our lives, right? I mean, I'm watching the clock, making sure it's nine. A couple of guys this morning, first thing we did, change the clock. We, we live in hours and minutes. We have uh, birthdays, we have graduation dates, we have wedding anniversaries. Um, we live in this time. To not live in time is not something we can comprehend right now. But this is part of what happens in the Lord's Supper. We do not, in time, repeat the sacrifice. This is the, this is the idea of the Roman Catholic Mass. First of all, that's not ours to repeat. Then you would have the Pastor Golden's Supper. Certainly not as holy as the Lord's Supper. Well, also, we, are the, we are the inheritors, we're the receivers, and we know as Lutherans we're not the ones doing the work. We're not, we're not the doers. The worker of the sacrifice deed is in Jesus Christ, which transcends all time. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Whoever would like to read 12 through 14. Thank you. It very emphasized single sacrifice, single offering, the single sacrifice of, gin, of sins on behalf of Jesus Christ is even for those not born yet. And, and I know uh, sometimes we pray for the end of the world to come. You know, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Well, why hasn't he come yet? Why is he letting us live in this world? Well... Uh, the best way I heard it put from another pastor was that the last Christian has not been born yet. We don't know who that is. It could be five years from now. It could be 5,000 years from now. We, we don't know. But it is, a, it is a not bound by time as we think of it. We do not know the day nor the hour. Only the Father in heaven knows the day and hour as we know it for the last day. Single sacrifice for all time. 
So we receive the body and blood of Christ, offered by Christ in his church, so the Lord gives it. So what's this need for a middleman wearing a fancy white square around his neck? Um, I, that was one of my questions, beginning in Christianity. So, so what's he there for? Um, from the formula of Concord, without Jesus' words, there would be no sacrament. It is by the power of his word that he gives us his body and blood. In the administration of the Holy Supper, the words of institution are to be publicly spoken or sung before the congregation distinctly and clearly. They should in no way be left out. For the elements of bread and wine should be consecrated and blessed for holy use so that Christ's body and blood may be administered to us. This indeed happens no other way than through the repetition and recitation of the words of institution. Um, so in this part, why the pastor, the Bible, as we'll see, speaks to uh, this administration, especially in the stewards of the, of the mysteries in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. But some things come up here. Number one, spoken or sung. And this is part of uh, what we'll talk about next week. It's part of the adiaphora. It's part of the adiaphora of church practices. Um, or is it? Or is it? What we think might be adiaphora is not always adiaphora. Can I buy a red car or a blue car? Do I need to speak or sing? Well, we don't always know. Uh, and this is an interesting way to look at Repetition and recitation. Repetition and recitation. One of the benefits of weekly communion, Lord's Supper, um, in visiting people, uh, I, I think of one example all the time from a couple years ago, a, a lady on her deathbed. Um, it was just two days before she passed. and I, Pastors were out of town, so me... Uh, uh, an unordained vicar was sent to, to do a commendation of the dying with her. I'm shaking like a leaf. Went through a lot of very familiar readings. Psalm 23, uh, Apostles' Creed, Confession, um, and uh, stating her absolution, not giving absolution as an ordained. But, and she was, you know, it was, I could tell she was, she was definitely ready to go, unconscious, mouth hanging open, until I got to the Lord's Prayer. And her mouth started moving along to the Lord's Prayer. If there is no other prayer or dream or wish that we have for each of us in that last few hours of life, may it be the Word of God ringing in our ears. May it be also the words of institution. And this also speaks to it speaks to the benefits of repetition. Um, and it also says in here, it needs to be spoken, where is it, clearly, distinctly and clearly. And I know sometimes some of my vowels as a New Yorker, um, I'd learned recently that I say miracle instead of miracle. I say M-A-R-A, -A, miracle. Miracle. What's correct? I don't know. All right. I mean, 
Well, well, Julie says to me, it's not miracle, it's miracle. <laughs> well, sure there's a name, right? I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, there, is a, there, there is a purposefulness in speaking clearly and distinctly, like, like when we say or sing the word spirit. You know, because we can sometimes say Holy Spirit or spirit comes off as a D. So there is some, uh, there's benefits to that. There's benefits to that. Also part of the, what he speaks about in the nature is how often are we to receive the sacrament? Now there is not, Christ did not specific, specifically specify a particular timetable, but invites us to come often to the sacrament on account of the gifts that he bestows here and on account of our own great need. In the New Testament, as we've learned already, the sacrament was a regular major feature of congregational worship, not an occasional extra. This is, uh, and daily they broke bread. Uh, they broke bread and they had prayers, and of course in 1 Corinthians. This practice continued in the church and in Reformation times, our church also celebrated the sacrament every Lord's Day and on other festivals. This is also included in our confessions. What's other festivals? What do you think the biggest festival was outside of Sunday in the church? This was a shocker for me. The most heavily attended church worship that was not a Sunday. It's not Christmas. Trinity. Trinity Sunday, which has fallen in the, it, it, it's kind of fallen down in the, in the ranks. Um, that, was, that was one of the major ones. And there are others like uh, Pentecost, of course, Christmas, if it's not on a Sunday. Uh, but the other festivals, which we've kind of gotten a little taste of here since I've been here, we did St. James, um, St. James, brother of our Lord, we did uh, Mary, the mother of our Lord. Um, obviously, today is a festival. This is a very, very big festival in the church of All Saints Day. Um, why is forgiveness such a treasure? Because this is, oh, we're into the benefit. Did we just change? Yes, we did. We're into the benefit of the sacrament. What does it mean for us? Well, forgiveness means that life and salvation. And why is it, why, why is it such a treasure? Well, to look more into that, because we can answer it simply, but we, let's, let's answer it also biblically, biblically by looking at Exodus chapter 12. And whoever would like to read, it's a little longer, verses 1 through 14. Your lamb shall be without blemish, 
a year male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Thank you. Thank you. This is the... Of course, the first Passover, in order for death, punishment of the Lord, in order for that to pass by your door, you had to do what? You had to put blood over the lintel of the doorpost. There's very specific instructions. Even more simply, you had to do what God told you to do. You had to believe the word. It, it, it is simply put as it is, death passes over your door by doing what God tells you to do. As we learn, of course, we're not always able to do what, do what, we're, what God tells us to do, so we need forgiveness. Forgiveness is a matter of life or death. I know that's a cliche that we throw around sometimes. This is a matter of life or death. This really is a matter of eternal life or eternal common condemnation. How does this meal of, of the body and blood benefit you with the forgiveness of sins? Well, forgiveness is what it means life and salvation, what it means for you being set free from your sinful past, set free from this past right now in which the tyranny of Satan death was our only sure future without forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins means for you a, a new life and a new future every single day. The forgiveness of sins is also bestowed in the means of baptism. The means of baptism. What else is my benefit? And I have some here. We're gonna we'll look at a couple of them. Sanctification. The benefit of the sacrament is actually we're we're in this process of being made clean. This process of being made holy. 
How is that done? Well, it's, it's done by strengthening our faith. Um, also, so that we may live to righteousness, the righteousness bestowed on us. Forgiveness of sins, of course, as it is in, the, in Christ's words when he institutes it. Uh, the benefit of being cleansed. The benefit of giving us life, eternal life. The benefit of the resurrection. Uh, being made righteous, made perfect, being enrolled in heaven. Our, our names being written in the book of life. With the sacrament, we are sure of that. Um, and in Romans, your spirit is life. And in 1 Peter, if you die to sin, yet li live to righteousness, you are healed. And in 1 John, the benefit of the sacrament, the works of the devil are destroyed. What I, I would like to look at first is John 6. John 6, whoever would like to read 32 and 33. to the world. So it's not only my personal benefit of the sacrament to the relief to receive the Lord's Supper, but it's also a communion. It gives a benefit to the entire world. Um, and of course, uh, the one I think, uh, let's turn to 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Thank you. And this, that's part of the sanctification process, too. As we are sanctified, as we are made pure, the works of the devil are destroyed. So then, what should I, how should I encourage you to receive this sacrament regularly? All, this is all part of the explanation of the small catechism. First of all, it's a command from Jesus Christ himself. The night before he was, well, the night he was arrested and the night before he died. Jesus urges you to do it. We also need the comfort and the strength of Christ's forgiveness so that we may live a new life while we are daily being assaulted by the devil. Um, however that may look, and if you don't think something going on may... No, it can't be the devil. He's not involved. Think again, because he's, he's pretty good at uh, the master of disguise. It's a daily struggle we have. Also, you're united with Christ and the fellow believers in this sacrament. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Uh, the unity of the people of Christ in the sacrament in being solidified in faith and in being made holy together helps the left hand assist the right. 
helps the weak in this, or helps the strong in one part assist the weak in the other, and vice versa. And it strengthens you to give yourselves in sacrificial love and service to your neighbor. Um, from John, this is my commandment, that you love another as I have loved you. You know, one thing that uh, I was interested in when I first started here is, uh, it's called Paul's Kiss of Peace. Sometimes it's called the Holy Handshake. It depends on what Lutheran church you're in, I suppose. Where everybody turns to each other and says, peace be with you, and shakes hands. That is, it's not just a, a neat or corny thing that a certain church does. There is scriptural basis behind that. Being at peace, forgiving your brother before appro approaching the altar of the Lord. Um, someone did a study on this, and the actual kiss of peace from Paul was actually um, because men in the old, old church, men were on one side and women on, on the other side of the pews. Men would kiss the men, women would kiss the women. Culturally, it wasn't taboo then. That was, the, that was the sign. I think in France, did they still kiss each other on the cheek? I'm not an international traveler. But, um, it's a, a sign that we are not at odds with each other. Forgive, every, forgive each other as we have been forgiven. So why should, why should you be encouraged to receive this sacrament regularly? I'll give Luther's answer from the large catechism. It's a pure, wholesome, comforting remedy that grants salvation and comfort. It will cure you and give you life, in, both in soul and body. For where the soul has recovered, the body also is relieved. And I think one of the, the simplest ways we can think about that is when we're worried about something that's bearing down on our conscience that doesn't allow us to sleep at night. And when you can't sleep at night, your body's affected. This happens in many other ways, of course, but I think that's the, that's the most common and easiest example. Where the soul is recovered, the body also is relieved. Where the soul is burdened, stressed, not comforted, full of anxiety, the body also is the same. Why then, Luther says, why do we act as if the sacrament were a poison, the eating of which would bring death? To be sure, it is true that those who despise the sacrament and live in an unchristian way receive it to their hurt and damnation. Instead, Luther says they should regard Regard the use of the sacrament just like a precious antidote against the poison that they have in them. So Luther, in the large catechism, at, at the time, was, fought, was also fighting against this... Uh, it was a small faction, um, but there was a small faction that would accuse them of being um, cannibals, both Roman Catholics and, and Lutherans, um, but also... Um, sacramentarians who, saw, who, who didn't believe in the, the presence of the body and the blood. Um, so they saw it as more of a us-doing act. Luther says also, as Christians, we confess that the words of our Lord Jesus, 
do just what they say. What Christ's lips say and speak, so it is. It really is that simple. I, I was, a couple months ago, I was looking around the LCMS website on just some like very basic Christianity stuff. And I love the one answer they give when somebody asks the common question, well, who is Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. What Christ's lips say and speak, so it is. How then should we eat and drink the powerful forgiveness in the Lord's Supper? By confidently believing in the guarantee is what our catechism teaches us. Well, when we look upon our past, this, is, this may be, well, was I really confidently believing? And you may start to judge your own faith. Well, should I go to the sacrament today? Maybe I wasn't confidently believing. Maybe I'm not confidently believing now. Before we get into, because here's where we're going to start to get into worthiness, I, I want to look at these three readings regarding, by conf, regarding first confidently believing. Romans 4, 23 to 25. Whoever would like to read that. often seen as the summary of Paul's theology. Romans is very rich, and he's saying this in his introduction, what we call the, the first half of Romans. Um, if you only had the book of Romans and had no other books of the Bible, you, you'd, be, you'd have plenty to, to go on in, in Christianity. Paul makes things very succinct. What is this guarantee Delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And of course he gets into by faith through grace right, right after this. Let's look at this participation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16. Thank you. Yeah, Paul's got a great way with these rhetorical questions. If Jesus says it is, it is. Not just some of the time, not partially, not 90%. Because if it was only partial, well, like a representation of his body, then God isn't God. Jesus isn't Jesus, and we have no hope. He's not a rock. We would be in sinking sand. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 11.26. All right. Thank you. Now, I want to make sure we spend a good amount of time with the, the, the worthiness. Now, remember, the small... Yeah. 
When we think there's this, we think of that, that, that judge scale, that, the scale of balance. This has to pay for this. It has to equal up. But yeah, you're right. To think about more is that the cure, the antidote. Um, yeah, it can't be quantified. If it were quantifiable, if forgiveness were quantifiable, and certainly sins we can't quantify, um, as Psalm 19 teaches us, but if forgiveness was, quanti was quantifiable, then again, God isn't God. Jesus isn't Jesus. Perfection is not perfection. Holiness is not holiness. The very definition of it falls apart when you start to quantify quid pro quo. Just for that. So then... For those who may, who, who are, who might even be worried about um, quantifying, I need, I need this much body and blood for this, for this many sins, or, or, or even uh, with anything like that. The essential way, this is, and that's actually, actually what exactly what we're, what we're getting into. The essential way to prepare for the Lord's Supper is to believe Jesus' promise that His body and blood are given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now I'm going to stop right there. Do I 100% believe Jesus' promise that his body and blood are given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins? Yeah, it, that, that's, and yeah, that's exactly the answer. I think I do. I think I do. I 95% think I do. I 99.99% think I do. And that's as high as we could ever get. Beyond quantity, beyond measure, forgiveness. Wiped out. That very concern, as we've talked about before, that very concern, am I worthy? Where's that concern, that inner spiritual feeling coming from? Well, you've been to church. You've heard it said. You're a sinner, right from the word of God. The Lord's Supper is for you. Therefore, consider and read yourself into this word, you, so that he may not speak to you in vain. The invitation is a welcome and a warning. So we have to look at this warning part, because we're going to talk a little bit about closed communion as well. 
Let's read Matthew 22. I must be tired. I can't find Matthew. Matthew 22, whoever would like to read 20, uh, 1 to 14. Thank you. The man who showed up without a wedding garment had a misunderstanding of being prepared. How, anybody, how do you prepare to go to the Lord's Supper? It's a trick question. You don't prepare. You, you are being prepared by God. You're not the doer. We Lutherans know this. God prepares you by driving you to your knees in repentance, by giving you the faith needed, by preparing you. You are not the preparer. You are not the preparer. This is a, this is a warrant. So, looking at this parable, this, this guy came in without a wedding garment. How do you get a wedding garment? It's in our Revelation reading today. Baptism. Do you prepare yourself to go baptize yourself? You are baptized by word and water. The preparation, this is part of the, the, the great grace of God, the all-encompassing gifts of God. Just when you think you got to do something, God does it for you. Preparation Law, has, law affects your heart to make you concerned in the first place. If the law has spoken to you and you're not concerned, then I would be worried about not being prepared. All right. So when are you not prepared? We are unworthy and we are unprepared. When we do not believe Christ's words or doubt them, since the words 
for you require all hearts to believe. Yeah, but I'm really trying really hard to believe them, but I still got that 0.2% of doubt. That 0.2%. Yeah, here I am. Now, now that's a pretty worrying statement, right? I, I, it's, my anxiety is a little high. Uh, it is when, is it when you are weak and struggling? Here is the big difference. Is it when you are weak and struggling? If your faith struggles, that worry, that head scratch I got, should I go to the sacrament? I don't want to drink it to my own detriment or to my own condemnation. But it's when you doubt Christ's words and are not struggling and thinking you are weak in your faith, then is when you are not worthy and prepared. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I'd like to come in today and come into church. I'm new here. I'd like to have the Lord's Supper. Are you worthy of the Lord's Supper? Oh, yeah, I'm worthy. There's my first clue. None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy to approach the Lord's Supper. But we know it. We know it because that's been given to us. That preparation of the, the preaching and the text of the law in that long gospel has been given to us. When you doubt and you're like, yeah, I don't think the whole Bible's true, but I'm not worried about it. I got a good job, got a family, my future's paved for me. Not beyond death, but my future's paved for me. That would be not worthy, not prepared. Christ instituted this sacrament for the weak and struggling. Sinners like us to draw us to himself and strengthen our faith in him. This is the medicine, the antidote that we need for that, that struggle, for being sorry for our sins, for being sinners, for worrying about it. Mark 9, 24, whoever would like to read that one. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And his son was healed. And he doubted, he struggled, and he had doubts. But he was concerned about it. We know because he asked Jesus to help him with it. John 6, 37. If out of your concern for your sin, you go to the Father, there is a promise. He will not cast you out. And then Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed, that's us, a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring, bring forth justice. This justice word in Hebrews, righteousness. Righteousness. 
and Luther in the large catechism, such people, weak or struggling in faith, must learn that it is the highest art to know that our sacrament does not depend on our worthiness. On the contrary, we go exactly because we are poor, because we are miserable sinners, miserable people. We go exactly because we are unworthy. This is true unless we're talking about, unless we're talking about someone who desires no grace, who desires no absolution, nor intends to change. So how do we then examine ourselves before receiving the sacrament? We are aware of our sins and are sorry for them. Not we are aware of our sins or sorry. The, contr- the contrition goes hand in hand with it. And somebody would like to read 2 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. Thank you, thank you. This, this uh, especially leads to that second part of, re- the second part of uh, repentance. Um, confession has two parts. One, that we're uh, contrite and sorry for our sins. And number two, that we believe that repentance leads to salvation without regret. Whereas just grief in the world produces, produces death. We believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is part of the, this examination, this worthiness. We believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his words in the sacrament. We intend, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to live as forgiven sinners, resisting the devil, saying no to sinful desires, and walking in newness of life. Our, our confessions uh, speaks of this as the, the new obedience. This is the the Christian living. And for this, we'll read the Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. our old Adam is daily drowned as we ask for forgiveness and to put on the new self. We should have this this intention. What if I feel no need for the sacrament? Luther's quote on this is great. If you don't feel like you need the Lord's Supper or you think once a month is fine or even four times a year, Put your hand into your shirt to check whether you have flesh and blood. Uh, <laughs> Luther can get away with those things. It's 500 years ago. Galatians 5, 19 to 21.
No, no, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Thank you. I mean, Paul will give you a list if you have any doubt that you don't need the sacrament. Paul's got series and series of, of these lists. And then, of course, in uh, Romans seven eighteen, I know that nothing good dwells in me, within me. Um, that is, in my flesh. I, have to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out, as, as Paul says. And who should not be given the sacrament? All those who are not Christian or not baptized. In the Great Commission, um, Christ's Great Commission before the ascension into heaven, he gives us very detailed commands, instructions. It is, it is a commission. And also those who are not able to examine themselves. Um, Infants and young children, people who have not received proper instruction in the Christian faith, like that new person who may walk into church. Yeah, I'm worthy of the sacrament. And um, unconscious or unable to, and this is where, uh, this is where a pastor comes in, in in a lot of situations, right? I've watched this with, with other pastors. Learning disabilities, handicaps, Dementia. Where do where does the line drawn? Well, there is not really a, a specific line drawn. Each each repentant sinner is its own unique case, um, and this is what I've had more than a few classes on in seminary. And it's there is there's no easy draw line answer answer with that. Um, I have, I have seen some amazing disabled people who I wish I had their faith. Like, wow. Like uh, somebody who's, uh, who's in a catechism class, 13, 14 years old, when it comes to memory stuff, it was just the first commandment. But you could not talk her out of the presence of the body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And boy, I, I, that's, that's why I say there, there's, there are some cases you just wish you had that faith. So you have to, it's certainly case by case, and it's definitely not an easy thing to do. Who else should not? Christians of a different confession of faith, since the Lord's Supper is a testimony to our unity in faith and doctrine. It's more than just the body and blood and my mouth. That's what forgiveness of sins for you means. But there's also the communion aspect of 
communion. Uh, there's a testimony to our unity going on, that we have this united confession. And the word confession literally means to say back to God what he has said to us. And we confess, we say back to God what he has said to us, that this is a, a personal and unified devotion, a proclamation of the Lord's death, what it means for the individual and what it means for us all corporately, and what it means for the unification, the benefits of the Lord's Supper for the unification of Christians, um, opposite of disunity. And I think we'll pause there, because we do have some more to go to talk about closed, closed or close communion, if you will. W which is the correct term? This is his lifelong Lutheran debate, right? Close is a recent term. Close is a term coined, I think I read in the 60s or 70s. Closed, um, does that give it a negative connotation? I suppose if you don't know what, what it means when it comes to communion, but there's an importance to that. Being closed is also a great act of love because we don't anybody want to sin against the body and blood of Christ. That's serious. We're not, we don't want anybody to sin against our Jesus Christ who has saved us from our sins, corporally. Questions before we wrap it up? Yeah. Was there a time in the early church where they came to communion? They actually, everyone who was not the community left, I mean, they closed the, the, that part of the church. Yeah, absolutely. I would draw a chart here. It's a, it's a really neat thing. The altar would be in the, in the ancient church. The altar would be in the center. And you'd have a communicant, those who participate in the Lord's Supper on this side, those who are baptized and able to examine themselves, and then anybody else in the community on the other side. And then after the and I think it was actually before the prayers of the church, maybe after the prayers of the church, um, those who were not part of that communion would have to leave, and then the doors would be shut. Closed communion. Um, and at the same time, uh, they, would, they would also have a lot of... Uh, during, in the university cities in Germany, the, the under, not, the, not the professors, but the graduate students with those people would go catechizing. That was, catech that was like catechism class for, any, for people in the community that would lead to baptism and lead to the Lord's Supper. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Have you ever, anybody been to a church where the altar's in the middle? Right smack in the middle of all the pews. That's actually the oldest design out there. It looks like a contemporary design, but it's one of the oldest designs. All right. Anything else? So that would really be what you call freestanding altar. Yeah, that would be a freestanding altar. That's a whole other debate. Oh, Ours is perfect. I love it. All right. Anything else? Let's go to church. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.